Today, I'm sitting down with Momo O'Brien. She documents real-world fantasy experiences, whether they be theme parks or LARPs, and she is also the editor-slash-cast member of the D&D podcast Realms Apart. We discuss her show and immersing people into the D&D experience through character creation and through music during the game, as well as discussing LARPs, how they get into LARP, how she creates her characters and her costumes, and even some LARP horror stories. Sit back and relax. You are listening to Roll for Insight. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Roll for Insight. Momo, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Oh, no problem. Am I speaking right away? I wasn't sure if you had to do like a like an intro or something. Oh, I, I just record that afterwards because if I record the intro before the show, I have no idea what we're talking about and half of it will be wrong. So oh, that's smart. That's smart. So okay. Then. Hello, it's me. It's Momo. <laughs> nice to see you, everyone. For starters, we have a tradition around here. We always ask the same question at the beginning of every episode. Momo, what is your D&D pet peeve it could be it's not something that will break up a friendship or a group but it's just something that makes you go oh why'd you do that so this 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 was a question i got in advance and i've been mulling it over for so long because it's a very hard question not because i don't have a lot of D pet peeves but because i have so many yeah i think that just comes with the territory of editing a DD podcast because you have to be on high alert of like things that work and things that don't you have to take out all the ums and ahs and things that you know break up a story but i have so many dear friends whom i care for so much that actively do these things so i can't say them on the air <laughs> you know but uh something that i know i do a lot is I'll say when I'm describing what my character's doing, I'll say they're doing it a little bit. And it's not because they're actually doing something a little bit, because what does that even mean? <laughs> if you're like, I tie my shoe a little bit, you either tie your shoe or you don't tie your shoe. And I do this so often, not because it's filler. It's it's just a different way to say um or ah or you know, like just fill the time with something and to like soften what could otherwise be a very direct action. Have you ever noticed that? Okay. I don't know if players do this too, but I swear to God, every DM says kind of like, Oh, the dragon is kind of approaching or the tower is kind of tall. Like Matt Mercer does this. I do this. Mark Humes does this. I don't know if Knox does it. I, I have, I've only listened to five episodes. And I wasn't everyone like, does everyone it, which is why it was, which is why it's so hard to like say it as a pet peeve because it's like it, it's it's just so natural but it bothers me so much cuz i hold myself to unreasonable standards but i i do try very often to have it on my radar as i'm role playing along with the ums and ahs because you know you can describe you're doing something a little bit but you have to actually be doing it a little bit you know like i step on the possibly booby-trapped tile a little bit just a little but, <laughs> wee bit yeah but not to soften j just when you're doing something you're not doing something yeah. you know what i mean when i was doing i was when i i 
when I was teaching speech and debate and I coached like kids on how to do public speaking, like I think the most brutal exercise we ever had to do was I was, I gave them a topic and I was like, all right, you talk about this thing. I'll give you two, I'll give you a minute to prepare and then you need to talk for two minutes, but you can't say, um, uh, like, and if I catch any speech influences, I'll stop you and have you start over. And it was, it was rough. Those, those were really hard because it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to cut oh, that yeah. stuff out of your speech. Yeah, and, like, I feel like editing Realms apart, because, like, Realms is very heavily, heavily edited um, now anyway. I feel like that certainly helps because I had to listen to my own role-playing so much, and upon listening to my own role-playing, I started picking myself apart and realizing the things that I had to take out because they didn't work. So I started noticing every time I said, um, and ah, and a little bit. And when I went on long tangents that bled into each other, so it was hard to follow. So I feel like upon editing myself and picking myself apart, I learned to not do those things. And I think I did become a stronger, perhaps public speaker and and role player in the process, you know? Absolutely. Like listening to yourself, you can definitely get a sense of like all of the speech influences that you have and just habits that you pick up. Because I mean, talking is just something we do so naturally and we do all the time. Yeah. We build up these habits. But anyway, we've we've mm-hmm. discussed Realms Apart a lot at this point. <laughs> so... so I just wanted to ask, like, you built up a pretty cool character for the show, like, already, five episodes into it, Doddle's awesome. Like, she's great, her intro oh, is great. Thank you. Her character is great. I, I'm curious, like, everyone has a different creative process for how they build up their character. So a lot of people do struggle with that, though. I mean, a lot of new players especially struggle to build the initial concept for their character and to make them interesting beyond just, she is this race, she is this class, right? So mm-hmm. what's your creative process for when you are building up a D&D character? So when I first started, I would come up with the character first and then just try and like fit them in. But then I started dating somebody who has the opposite process. They're like, I really like building the character. He's a pro gamer. You know, he's he's better at the like mechanics side of, of D&D than I am and uh, actually convinced me that no, mechanics can be good sometimes. And I, I agree with that now. But he said that he really likes building a character sheet because it helps him build his character. Like if he wants to play somebody with high intelligence, he thinks, huh, where did they study? What did they study? Who did they learn from? If, if they're more wisdomist, it's like, oh, they, they're more street smart. Where did they pick up this knowledge? Like, did they get hurt in their backstory? And that's why they're able to, you know, read these scenarios better. Um, so... I, I, the question was like if I could give advice to create a character concept, right? Yeah. I feel like the advice that I would give is don't do it all at once. Like a, a lot of my character concepts are put together piece by piece. Like I knew I wanted to play a gross little goblin because the voice is fun. I knew I wanted to also be a Disney princess because that's everything I'm about, you know? And then after that, like... The more you start to piece it together like a like a clay sculpture, the more you'll start to flesh them out a little bit more and one thing will lead to another. Like you start to piece together their backstory and then from that you can derive what their flaws and characteristics would be and stuff. So just pick one thing you like and then build the rest of that onto that. You know, if you like playing a certain class, start with that. If you want to play a certain race, start with that. If you know a voice you want to do, start with that and then build a Pinterest board and the rest will kind of follow, you know? Yeah, those Pinterest boards can be like 
so useful. You underestimate just how much oh, yeah. character you can get just from putting a bunch of pictures together in one spot. Mm -hmm. And not, not even that. It's like I have a I have a Pinterest board for Doddle that isn't, um, you know, it's not fully fleshed out or anything. But I have like aesthetic photographs on there of what I pictured like her homeland would look like and, you know, outfits I pictured she'd wear. But I also have like writing prompts. Like I have uh, graphics for 30 words to stay to say instead of very, you know, like instead of very tired, you say exhausted and and stuff. So I have role-playing resources on there as well i'm gonna steal that now that's a good that's a good idea damn I like i'll that send line. you the link after we're done here oh hell yeah man <laughs> it's, it's nothing much but that's a lot more than because i mean i i take yay whiteboard and what i do is i just write down like three tone words per character which is a good starting point but sometimes like you quickly realize that three tone words will build the initial concept. But when you're role playing, it falls away very quickly and you realize how shallow that can really be, especially when your mm -hmm. party starts asking questions. <laughs> um, That's why I'm a bit I've started um, uh, writing character descriptions beforehand because there's nothing stopping you from doing that you oh, yeah. know you're gonna have to describe a character at some point so i'm able to use like more flowery speech like i have a description for doddle's mother and she's like a very stern character so i use the word cut because i like i just say that her eyebrows cut across her face and it's the tone word thing you were talking about where cut is a very like scary aggressive word and um even though i'm just describing where her eyebrows are it can set the tone for a very stern, aggressive character. Yeah. No. Oh man, yeah, when, when you're building up character, I mean, even like small things like that, like you're just describing her eyebrows, but you've got already the personality and you can already imagine this woman in your head, like it's a visual description. And thank you so much for validating me <laughs> whenever I, I keep on saying in my roleplay advice videos to write shit down beforehand. <laughs> that is okay. Especially character descriptions because it's gonna happen at at some point there's nothing stopping you from having it all ready to go you know like oh my god the first time i described doddle i'm like oh i wish i could do that all over again yeah because <laughs> i'm just like uh there's some branches the branching over her balcony <laughs> and like it's uh yeah there's nothing stopping you from having it all ready to go yeah you know? i mean it's not like wishes of the coast doesn't do that themselves i mean i've read through curse of straw they have exact descriptions for location that the dm should just read because there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with that but for some reason mm -hmm. i still get pushback on that anyway but um anyway passive aggressive commentary aside um aside, <laughs> aside from that i mean you mentioned that your perspective on your role playing and the way you play the game changed when you, you got together with the person you're dating i mean how did you start to adapt your playstyle to be just even a little bit more gameplay focused and shift the way you look at creating your characters? So I my my background is in LARP. I, I started doing D and D way back when, but it wasn't hands on or creative enough for me. That may have just been the groups I was playing with, or because I am neurodivergent, recently diagnosed, um, and the mechanics and rules were very inaccessible to me. So I think I did what most people do. And when they can't grasp a concept, they're like, oh, well, you know, it's not my thing anyway. You know, I, I'm, I'm guilty of doing that. And then I started LARP, which is a lot of the times just improv theater with mechanics that you can ignore and not engage with. But then started playing D&D &D again, and it, you can't 
ignore the mechanics because they're so ingrained in the game and the party that you're playing with. And I, I remember starting and being like, uh, I just feel like mechanics get in the way of the story. And the person whom I am dating, who goes by Captain Crail, and they stream on Twitch if you'd like to check them out, changed my mind on that. They said mechanics can add to the story if they're done right. Like if you're in a dungeon crawl and a character almost dies, that adds to their story. And the character bleed that you experience when both the player and the character are putting all of their brain power together to try and defeat this enemy you know, things go right or wrong can add to a character. And I had never thought about it in that way. I'm starting to separate those things in my mind a little bit. Like next time we do a dungeon crawl, I'm actually quite excited, not because I think it's going to add to the story, but because I'm excited to play a game with my friends. Like I'm, I'm more into the sporty nature of it. And I think that's partially because of the tools that I've learned how to use like D&D Beyond and Roll20. So the mechanics are a little bit more accessible to me and I'm able to wrap my head around them a little bit more. But also I'm learning to distinguish that not every single thing has to be dramatic improv theater. You know, like I can just goof off with my friends sometimes and there's still fun in that. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that you uh, fell out of D&D for a little bit. I'm curious. Everyone tells us a different story about how they got into the game or how they got back into the game. Like, how did you start playing? So I, I started playing because just I had some friends at university that just started a game. And at that point, I had never watched Critical Role. And, you know, I hate to be the D&D gamer that's like, Critical Role got me into D&D. But they made good shit. Okay? Yeah, Am I yeah. allowed to swear? Uh, okay, yeah. I did it twice. Like, <laughs> Oh, cool. Okay. They're very good at what they do. So like, why not? But I was playing D&D and I was like, oh, I like this like character aspect to it. I like that you can write a story in real time. Um, but it just felt like there was something missing. Like I, I wasn't fully in it, you know? And so I tried LARP and everyone was like physically in front of you and in character most, if not all of the time. And I was like, ah, this is what I like. Um, and then the pandemic happened. And shortly before that, I had started listening to Critical Role. And Critical Role made me realize, oh my god, this is what D&D can be? Like, you can actually be in character while you're talking to your friends. And so I got a group of my friends together that I had LARPed with before. And I was like, hey, I want to I wanna play D&D. Can we get a group together? And we did. And I realized that, oh, we can just like LARP over Zoom, uh, essentially, you know, and that, that's that's when I started getting really into it when I when I took inspiration from Critical Role and realized, oh, you can be like in character telling a story while playing this game. Yeah, I also you know got I mean? into the game because of not because of Critical Role, but because of a, a Curse of Strahd show that was run on the D&D channel with like a couple of YouTubers. And that like is what shot me into loving this game. And then I listened to Critical Role mm -hmm. and I was like, Yep, now I need to DM my own game because this is just, it's so good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and like that, that's, that's what I, because like where I gain fulfillment and enjoyment from things like this is I am an entertainer. <laughs> you know? It's hard to say that and not be pretentious, but it, it's true. Like I love to create and I love to be entertaining and I love to be challenged by that. Um, and I didn't realize just how entertaining D&D &D can be. Yeah. 
It's uh, yeah, the the show really is is incredibly compelling. My and I and I'm curious cuz I have a a criticism of the show that I've harped on for a while, but I don't think yeah. there's anything they can do about it. And I'm curious on your opinion on this. I just still think these episodes are too damn long. They are very long. They are yeah. So long. I, like the only reason I, I'm I'm not caught up. I don't Me think neither. I ever will be. The only reason I did is because I would listen to it at work while I was washing dishes and I got in trouble for that. And that's the only reason I got as far as I did, which is part of why realms is the way that it is not to keep talking about my podcast like i'm trying to promote it or anything yeah no no but... no way what <laughs> um yeah but Link the carts uh yeah like i try i can't i realms is the way that it is because i can't get into D podcasts whether that be because it's mostly because of the long form format because in in the middle of just people talking in total silence, I'll go get a coffee or go to the washroom or my attention will, you know, bounce away. And when I bounce back, I have no idea what's happening. I have no idea what mood I'm supposed to be feeling. I have no idea what vibe this character we just met is. And so I wanted it to sound more like an audio play so that if my attention ever bounced away and bounced back, I would hear like the suspenseful yeah. music and I'd be like, oh, I don't know who this character is, but I know we're supposed to feel uneasy talking to him. And in my in my newer edits, I take out big chunks of stuff. I learned to be way more lenient taking out big chunks of stuff. Uh, once I learned D&D a little bit more and I learned what was very important to keep in and what we could probably skip in a recap format, you know, so a, a lot of like trying to figure out mechanics or a character asking the DM information that that character would have is like completely cut because it, it while it's cool for the live play which is available on the Scabby Rooster Twitch channel if you're interested in that, I can't it doesn't that work card, well in a... Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, it doesn't work well in like a story format because a, a, a lot of those things just kind of like halt the story. A lot of the things add to the stories like dice rolls on very uh, what's going to happen moments because yeah. it, sus- it makes it suspenseful. But um, a lot of the things that I take out are things that just kind of pause while we figure it out before we can continue the story. You know, and, and that's that's why it's so hard for me to get into D and D podcasts is because it's a lot of waiting and getting lost in in the middle. You know. Mm-hmm. So we talked about adding music like in post into your D and D game, but you know, a lot of people don't have to do that in post because they just play. But what about music mm-hmm. that you play during the game? Like, do you have any advice on soundtracking your your D and D game like in the moment while <laughs> you're at the table? So uh, Nox actually again to to shout out the scabby rooster live play version of realms that we have he does a lot of music during the game uh i unfortunately cannot listen to it because i'm recording the desktop audio but yeah he uses a uh, website called sirenscape for sound effects which i use for the podcast there's a lot of really cool things on there and something i really like about sirenscape is a lot of the sound effects that you have available to you are made just with a human mouth like we meet a dragon at some point i know spoilers we're playing dungeons and dragons I feel like it's not that big a spoiler but we do come across a dragon at some point who could have foreseen but i this? used i know but i used uh sirenscape's dragon sound effects and uh, something i do in realms a lot is i'll stretch things and and thin thing and speed things up and lower the pitch and 
heighten the pitch. Is that the word? I haven't finished my coffee. But I'll, I'll mess with sounds just to have it fit the mood a little bit more. And upon messing with these dragon sounds, I realized that they're just edited, but the raw audio is just a dude going, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, which I think adds to the the authenticity of a, of a D&D game, you know? So there's my little Sirenscape pitch. Uh, he also uses Roll20, which we use for battle maps and whatnot, but you're able to play music through Roll20. I... Uh, have my own method because like I said I am unable to listen to the music he plays and I have uh, a bunch of D&D playlists that are sorted by moods um, and I have two sections I'm showing you my Spotify here yeah. two sections which is high energy and low energy so let's say that we open up the game and Nox is like oh we're starting I I'm obviously not a DM so this is not going to be as dramatic as he does it but he's like huh we're starting the game and there's a big war and things are exploding and there's soldiers um, casting spells everywhere. I can immediately go to high energy, fight and, fight and chase and it'll fit the mood. Or he's like, oh, we're starting out in a quiet tavern. There's not many people here and there's a fire crackling. I go to low energy tavern slash city and it's like, you know, quiet loot music and stuff. And so I, I'm a big fan of the way of sorted out my music there because it, it allows me to match the energy of a scene quite quickly you know and it's it's the same folder um method i use for the the um licensed music that we use for realms yeah so i may i offer an alternative approach let's hear it yeah so i've always sorted my music based on setting instead so instead of 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 like tone i'll go okay we're starting off in a desert and i have a I, I use tracks for a bunch of video games, which I cannot play on YouTube because I would get copyrighted in a heartbeat. But um, I always use tracks based on just the location that they're in or the type of enemies they're fighting. If they're fighting aberrations, I play like a techno, like techno orchestra hybrid. If they're fighting demons, it's like really intense, loud orchestra rock. If they're fighting against bandits, it's more traditional battle music take from Skyrim or from usually from Destiny, right? I think that using those it can really get your players into who they're fighting and, and kind of help them to visualize it because if you have like a light a light motif or a theme for a particular type of enemy then you can play that and they immediately know who they're going against and what they're all about that's a good idea i, I like the idea of having like a uh, music specific for a location as well because you know theming and and whatnot like Something I do in realms a lot. I'm so sorry. No, but, uh, is <laughs> I pick like theme music for characters and locations and stuff just to help the audience associate the music with a character or location. So if we ever go to a desert or a jungle or something, I might make uh, a folder specifically for that. Yeah. So but I'm a, I'm a simple minded, simple person. So <laughs> I'm happy with my like four playlists. No, no, no. That's a totally valid way to do it. Right because the problem is sometimes things are really like you, you kind of brought this up, but sometimes things are really calm and then the music will go blah and I'll go, ah, oh, shite. And then I'll have to reel yeah. That is annoying. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. which is why I'm a big fan of controlling my own music. Mm -hmm. I talked about this a little on YouTube. Like, it's cool when a DM controls the music, but a DM is also controlling like 80 other things. Um, whereas like if I'm listening to a playlist or something, usually somebody else is talking and if it doesn't fit the mood, I just hit skip. 
you know, I have that power. Yeah, un un unfortunately, I I'm using like a very a very simple. It's a great program, but I use Watch Together on the internet. It's a great program, but yeah, you have to your players only listen to the thing you're listening to, and they can't mute it. So if they don't <laughs> like it, sorry, <laughs> I don't know. But oh man, we are we are pretty much out of time to talk about D and D specifically. But if you could offer any advice about immersing yourself into a game, and we've covered a lot here but if you have any final word on how players or dms can immerse their party into the game i mean what would you tell people who want to get more invested in the world that they're playing in uh well to save you time and to direct people to my youtube channel i actually, I, I actually have a uh, whole video about uh, tips that I give about how to get immersed for your D&D game and we make a charcuterie board in it and put together a little dottle outfit and I showcase a candle company that makes candles specifically to immerse yourself in different fantasy worlds and stuff. Very cool. But yeah, if you're looking for tips on how to get immersed, I have a whole video. Here we go. It's Save in the cards now, right up there. Yay, yeah. thank you. But come back here. Okay, I need that yes, watch time. Yeah, no, look at, look at it later. It's not, it's not that good. Like, finish what you're doing here first. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. That's Jenny uh, D in you. it. It's pretty good. Oh, yeah. It does. We got to plug that. Mm -hmm. God, I love Jenny D. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um... Crispy, you better remember to put the musical transition in here. Or you're gonna look really stupid. So, okay. There if, we go. if you if you forget, I'll go. There you go. Perfect. We now have a music. That, that's being left in no matter what. All right. So. Oh, great. Unfortunately, there were multiple times where we could have had a neat transition to live action role play, but we didn't because the D and D conversation was so good. But here we are now. So. When you're creating your characters for your LARPs, I mean, you you have done LARPs where it's like a Penny Dreadful, you've done a pirate game, you've done a full-on war session in Quebec. I mean, it's it's it it's all very varied, and you need to create different characters for each of them. Does your creative process differ when you're creating characters for LARPs when as opposed to when you're creating characters for Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, well, in in D and D, I am often drawn towards characters that I can't replicate in real life, which is why I play like tiny little goblins or robots or tieflings two feet taller than I am with great tits. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but with with LARP, uh, and in most games, you you can play whatever you want. But I am so self critical. Um, that that does not fly with me. I need to fully embody and represent a character that I want to play. So the first thing that pops into my head whenever I hear about a new genre or style or whatever is I usually get an idea right away and it's usually just what I think would be fun to play in that universe, like a self-insert, you know? Um, but then once I get that original concept, I have to flesh it out and be like, okay, but what's going to be fun for other people to play? Because LARP is so collaborative it's not like D, D where there's one person catering to a party of six people like in larp you kind of all have to work together so i can't just play what's fun for me i have to think about what's going to be engaging for other people which is part of why i so heavily rely on who i can embody um because that's going to be more engaging for other people that's my two-step process pretty much awesome well i mean it's worked out for you so far so it's clearly, oh, clearly doing you. something well uh, but oh, 
how do you uh, vibe check like the people around you to check if your character's working out with them? Because like a lot of people struggle with uh, talking to others and kind of figuring out like what works and what's uh, collaborative and what's compatible. So how do you make sure that your characters fit in with the people around you? Well, I mean, I think first things first, communication is very important. And you can kind of vibe check a, a, a player before you even enter the game while you're talking to them. Um, but also, just to play it safe, I have a group of friends that I go to almost every LARP with. I'll usually go, like, it. it's like going to a club or a rave or something. You kind of want to go with people who you already know you have good chemistries with and who already understand your boundaries. Um, so I have a group of friends that I go to almost every LARP with, and we all know each other's play styles. I want I want to say it's a it's a skill reading the room that you you learn eventually. Like you can kind of tell if a person is picking up what you're laying down or not. But to bypass that skill, communication, just talking to a player before the game and saying, "Hey, what kind of like what kind of play are you looking for here?" And if they're like, "I want someone to scream at me and spit on me and traumatize me," and you're like, "Ah." Oh, I just kind of wanted to hang out. <laughs> you can just, Sounds healthy. You know, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe you're not going to want to hang out with that person so often, but I have gone to games where I'm like, I get spit on and traumatized, you know, and it all just depends on communicating to pre-COVID. people beforehand. So pre, pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. Oh yeah, no, pre-COVID. Lord, please don't spit on me now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a metaphorical spitting. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think you should be spitting on people like ever. Just don't, don't do that. Gross guys. Come on. Oh my God. I don't actually mean spitting on them. I mean like a, fake spit yeah anyway clarification guys clarification Uh, but but, um yeah it it all just depends on communicating with people beforehand and and clearly stating out of character what it is everybody's looking for once the game begins so a big part of larps especially the ones that you go to is the costumes like you create a character and then you create the costume or do you create the costume first and then the character i've I've always been curious like what's your creative process when bringing it into the real world yeah well it's it's the same thing that i was talking about before where you don't have to do it all at once so sometimes i don't create the costume for the character sometimes i do sometimes i'll notice like a neckline i really like and i'm like ooh, we're gonna keep this neckline in the back of our head then we'll create some aspects of the character i'm gonna use my pirate character as an example i i liked the way that kira knightley's dress moved on the deck of the pirate ship and the way that Tia Dolma's dress moved on the on the pirate ship. So I was like, okay, I know right away I want my costume to be wispy and long and to like move like water on the deck of this ship. And then um, I believe I got my I, I got my character sheet and it was a runaway bride who turned into a pirate. And I just put two and two together and they kind of overlapped on each other. And I was like, oh, what if we were still wearing the wedding dress? Which also works practically because a big a big problem at LARPs is if you're trying to find somebody, they always seem to be impossible to find. Like, um, so I just figured that would make things a little easier for people. Cause instead of being like, uh, she's blonde, uh, she looks like a pirate, they could just be like, oh, the one dressed like a bride. Um, on the Rallampago and I would be easy to point out but also I could have that like wispy pirate ghost uh, aesthetic about me so um, there isn't really a step-by-step process it's just kind of whatever pops into my head next 
you know? So when you're doing a LARP, I mean, you're playing this character in an actual environment. And I am curious, is there something that you had to do to stay in character, like eat something or do something that you were just like in hindsight going, wow, that was probably really dumb. I mean, I did eat three sticks of butter, oh, but that was because people thought I was funny, not because I was trying to stay in character. I just, I like to be liked. What can I say? Um, but also it did, it did help establish the character because it happened very early on in the event. And, you know, it's typical three act structure. Like you, you gotta, you gotta get some sort of, label out there so that people know what you're all about and i was the butter eater for the rest of the event um but it's so something i had to learn upon going to many larps is i had this mindset first starting out of it is best to be in character all of the time that is the mark of a good role player is never breaking character always being immersed and as I played in different styles and different communities, I realized that's not necessarily true. Like, role-playing takes energy. And I've had some of the my best scenes at games where it was typical for people to be flipping in and out of character. Because when you're relaxed and you're out of character and you're just talking to people and, you know, making jokes like, ah, you know... Scooby-Doo, I love that play, you know, like dumb jokes like that that are like half in character. It leaves you with a lot more energy to do more dramatic things <laughs> later on, whereas being in character immersed all of the time, it can be really emotionally exhausting and sometimes it be physically exhausting. exhausting. Yeah, exactly. It could just exactly, be exhausting yeah. in general. Mm -hmm. So it is, it, I mean, it is important to read the room and not mess with anybody else's immersion. Like if everybody else is clearly very in character, maybe not the best time to make a Scooby-Doo. I love that play uh, joke. But uh, don't, don't put so much pressure on yourself to always be in character because you don't necessarily have to be, you know? Yeah. I don't know why, but bringing up Scooby-Doo made me think one of my players, she mm -hmm. is obsessively making a Scooby-Doo reference. Like ever since she joined our game, there's been a Scooby-Doo <laughs> reference every couple sessions, every single time. They're fun. Yeah, they're fun. <laughs> but every single monster, yeah. she finds some way to compare them to a Scooby-Doo baddie. Every <laughs> single good. one. Um, what, one piece of advice though that I, that I would give that I actually mentioned in a very early video that is taken down now because it's one of the only things that is correct in it. Uh, but there's like some sort of acting method called psychological gesture where you just pick something like a like a tick or, or something that your character does, um, whether it be like pushing up their glasses or rolling up their sleeves or going like this or just just something to help you like pull yourself back in when you've when you've fallen out. You know, or like it could it could even be a memory that they lean on very often, you know, typical trauma stuff, like something in your backstory or or something that you can keep in your pocket that you can just touch and meditate on for for a second. Just having some sort of anchor back into your character, I find really helpful. If you haven't seen on this channel, we cover RPG horror stories, but I have never <laughs> I've never covered a LARP horror story, and I was wondering, do you have any sort of experience that you just got to get out there that wasn't as great? And how did you make it through it and, like, learn from that whatever it was? Oh, my God. Dude. 
tons. Like, oh, and it, boy, and it's here never, we go. Um, I, well, see, here's the thing, though, is LARP communities are tight-knit. And when they love their LARP, they really love their LARP. And it gets into some, like, real midsummer areas, man. And, like, I have been to... It's always strange because it's usually the LARPs that are not the best that have the most intense community, you know, the ones that get really defensive. So, yes, I have tons of horror stories, but I don't want to get tweets, you know, constantly tearing down my character and, you know, coming at me. Like, I've gotten some, like, you know, I I went to a game once and it was... absolutely the worst LARP experience I've ever had. And I just made one tweet saying, hey guys, there's not going to be a video about this game. And I got tweets from that community for days. Vicious tweets. They are the reason I have to pay my psychologist as much as I do. You know, like I I had one person dress up as my character from that game to make fun of me. Like it, it, it was bad. And so this... This happens quite often, though, where because of that, I became this like talking point in the LARP community where so many, you know, especially men in the community were saying, you have to dress for the game you're going to. This game in particular, there was people in sneakers. There was one person just in a cosplay, like a a very good, accurate cosplay, but a very recognizable cosplay. And I had crafted an entirely handmade original design character for this game, for the universe I was playing in, but it was a soft lilac color. And that was just not gonna fly. So a lot of the critique I had gotten from that game was I ruined people's immersion because of the bright, they kept calling it pink. It was not pink. It was a very soft lilac. Um, I ruined their immersion because of the colors I wore. You know, at this game where they shot fire magic at monsters. A woman can't wear a feminine color. Yeah, that ruins immersion at this game with like like ghosts and shit. I, like, it's, I know it's which so, game you're talking so about. Dumb. And I didn't oh, know. thank you. Yeah, I do know which game you're talking about. And yeah, I've heard some really like bad things from that experience but oh thank you for validating no no like (laughs) no like stuff that i think the it's bad it's bad and i don't i won't say yeah it's bad that's definitely something i had to learn is these colors that are historically more accurate than black because black was a more expensive dye in that period and this is just like even barbie pink is just a faded red it doesn't matter how many times you explain to them, no, it's historically accurate. There are people that wear colors like this in this universe. It goes over their head because they just like, they explain it away. You know, it doesn't matter that they there's magic and monsters in this universe. Yeah. That messes with what is immersive in their mind you know? Yeah, no, like, and I'm also thinking... It, it, it can't be explained to them. Yeah, I'm also thinking like... To hell with historical accuracy. This is a fantasy game. <laughs> like Exactly. I, I... And like something that was told to me is when I was like, but this is like a color that appears in this universe a lot. They're always like, yeah, but it's it's just bards. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, so 
like was there a rule was there a law in this universe that says only bards can wear purple like it just gets dumber and dumber and dumber them trying to defend why women should not wear feminine colors in this universe it's it's dumb some somebody tweeted me that in we're getting closer and closer to me getting a myriad of tweets after this but i think we'll be okay we'll be fine but in in the universe uh that we were playing in somebody sent me tweets and there is a canon festival where everyone wears flower crowns in in one area of the world and i had people coming at me being like your flower crown was so inaccurate i'm like there's so many people wearing flower crowns and the main character in this universe you can dye his costume pink so what are you talking about i can't wear i wasn't even wearing pink so it's so dumb so it's so it's so so uh, dumb i know uh, And, and and even just that's having... part of what's you you talk, dude. It's it's your show. Oh no no, you go. You're the guest. Your name's on your. Oh, episode. I was just saying that's 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 part of why a lot of the criticism from the LARP community I've gotten has been so hard, is because it's never they never just say we don't like when you dress femininely. It's always you ruined the immersion at the game. It's always an attack on my character and the integrity and the morality of what it is that I'm doing, which hurts so much more than just, we didn't like that you wore a flower crown. It's so annoying too, because I've, I've, I, and, and you know, this, you know, it's not, it's not common, but like I've seen, like I've gotten comments on my roleplay advice videos and on my interviews and on my horror stories where people do this really annoying thing like, oh, you naive child, let me explain to you like this thing. I'm like, guys, come on. It's a game. Like, chill, chill the hell out. <laughs> All right. It is not mm-hmm. that big of a deal. But people will bend over. And, and that's what really what it is. It's bending over backwards to justify a criticism that I think they deep down know is not that important. Like, it's a color at mm-hmm. the end of the day. But they need to justify mm-hmm. freaking the hell out about it through something and ruined immersion just happens to be that thing. And it was always the people who are like, this is the only LARP that I've ever been to that had so much to say about how this was the best LARP in the world. Oh my <laughs> you, you know? Um, but it's, yeah. It's a, so yeah, yes, nightmare. I have nightmares. I have horror stories. There but, you go. Uh, in, unless I'm paying you to be my psychologist, I'm going to keep them to myself and not monetize. I think, off, I think off we, of them I think, well, I, well, I am. <laughs> Hope you don't mind. But uh, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good to get. It's good to get it off my chest no, no. for another human being to be like, "Oh, that's dumb as fuck." No, we. <laughs> you know? I think we dug deep. I think we hit some good stuff here. We did good. Yeah. So anyway, to just let's end this off on a good note. Come on, you just tell okay, me yeah. what's your favorite LARP experience or some some of your favorite moments, like just small things that made you go, "Yeah, this this is awesome." I mean, this is gonna sound cheesy as hell, but a lot of the moments that I've had with my real life friends. Because like I said, I have the group that I go to different games with and we know each other's chemistry and we know each other's boundaries, but we also know the kind of stories that we like um, telling with each other and we know how to um, hoist each other up to to get the kind of play that each each of us wants. And uh, I have a lot of like nice friendship moments like... I think my favorite game is probably the pirate game that I went to, not because it was a super cool game, but it was because it it was the game where I met someone who is now one of my best friends. You might know them as the Azrai on TikTok and YouTube, but that was the first game that Az and I played together. And that's why it has such like a deep place in, in my heart because 
meeting a friend at a LARP can be very special because you have this very dramatic narrative story tied to it, you know, and it, it makes it, it makes it really special. Awesome. Is that goopy enough for you? That's the perfect amount of goopy. <laughs> it was perfect. <laughs> All right. We are on 45 minutes. I think it's about time we wrap it up. So musical transition, musical. Yep, yep, yep. All right. So. Epic. There we have it. I don't even need to edit and post now. You just made my job way easier. So if you guys. Anytime. Of course. If you guys enjoyed this episode of Roll for Insight, then please do leave a like. If you want to see more of our content, then please do subscribe to my channel and also Momo's channel. It's linked in the cards, linked in the description, blah, blah, blah. If you want to let me know you really liked this show then please do review us on itunes or spotify if you're able to do that and finally if you're able on youtube then please do leave a comment if you can't think of a comment leave the comment immersion so let me know you made it to the end of the show in essence like comment subscribe we will both see you all next time farewell farewell